0: Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. And somewhere under the sea, bottles of wine are waiting to be aged. The fledgling underwater wine industry began when divers discovered a wrecked schooner at the bottom of the Baltic Sea in 2010 and retrieved 168 bottles of champagne dating back to 1840. They were surprised that even after nearly two centuries on the ocean floor, the bubbly was remarkably fresh and flavorful. One bottle sold for nearly $37,000. And now a French diver has sunk wine storage cages off the coast of Santa Barbara in an attempt to create the world's first members-only underwater wine cellar and club. But his Chardonnay under the sea has encountered some legal obstacles. Joining me is Emily Dooley, staff correspondent for Bloomberg Law. Tell us about what a diver, a surfer, a winemaker, and a Frenchman did off the coast of Santa Barbara.
2: Yeah, so it's a pretty interesting story. There was a group of people who several years ago decided that they wanted to kind of do something new and innovative with wine. And one of the people involved is a diver who came up with a specialized cage that he said would act sort of like a battery to help age wine. So they built this cage. They put a bunch of bottles of wine in the cages and sunk them off the coast of Santa Barbara, for about a year, with the idea that the cold water, the darkness, and the waves would help store and perhaps age the wine bottles. They did trials, they did some other things, they were kind of testing to see if this process would work, and the company Ocean Fathom says that their process helps age wines where they would be mature within a year versus maybe 7 to 12 years for other wines.
0: So the diver Emanuel Azaretto, he got a patent for this, but he didn't get a permit to put it off the coast of California? Yes,
2: he did get a patent. And then he says he went about trying to get permission to do some pilot testing and proof of concept. And he says he went to a lot of places, harbor masters, Coast Guard, anyone around the harbor where he was looking to talk to them about what to do, because he thought it would just be a little bit like crab fishing. You know, you put something down in the water, you take it back up. And then he found out that was not the case.
0: Underwater storage facilities are a thing. I've never heard of them, but there was actually an underwater wine congress. How did this start, the idea?
2: So there was a shipwreck that was found in 2010 at the bottom of the Baltic Sea and the um divers went down to the shipwreck and they found like a, more than 150 bottles of champagne, and they brought them up to shore, and they dated back to the 1840s. And they opened the bottles, and um, they they were good. They tasted good. And so it sort of started this kind of industry of underwater wine storage, and uh, even like a vineyard popped up in the Baltic because – underwater is is good for storing wine because it's cool there's no light there's no oxygen so it sort of keeps the the wine from deteriorating and that's helpful in places where they don't have wine caves or cellars or things like that so there's there's a couple in um spain and italy and then there is this underwater vineyard in croatia
0: so the diver Emanuel Azaretto he got a patent for this but he didn't get a permit to put it off the coast of California He did get
2: a patent, and then he says he went about trying to get permission to do some pilot testing and proof of concept. And he says he went to a lot of places, Harbor Masters, Coast Guard, anyone around the harbor where he was looking to talk to them about what to do, because he thought it would just be a little bit like crab fishing. You know, you put something down in the water, you take it back up. And then he found out that was not the case.
0: So the California Coastal Commission had a say in this.
2: They oversee kind of all the California coastline and out near ocean waters. And the Coastal Act from you know the 1970s really has some specific rules about what can happen along the water. And wine aging is not one of those approved uses. So the Coastal Commission kind of found out what was going on. They sent Emmanuel a notice of violation. And while the state was sort of investigating what was going on, Emmanuel filed a permit request with the Coastal Commission to approve what he had done after the fact and to put more cages down below. The commission is set to vote in August on the permit request. And the staff of the commission has said We think you should deny it because it doesn't fall within the Coastal Act. But the board of the commission, they're independently appointed and can decide however they want to
0: decide. So is there an allegation that this harms the environment or marine life, or is it just that it doesn't fit within the rules? Well, so
2: there's a couple of things. You know, the cages go down onto the ocean floor, and so they could be crushing whatever is sort of on the ocean floor. And also marine life can get onto the bottles, and it's sort of one of the selling points for Ocean Fathoms is that each bottle is unique because it has its own sort of marine decor. In one case, they even have a photo of an octopus kind of stuck to uh, one of the wine bottles, and that's marine life that should be in the water and not on dinner tables.
0: So what's Emmanuel's response to all these allegations?
2: So he says that he tried to do everything by the book, but it's confusing and convoluted. And, you know, COVID was also going on during a lot of this. So it was hard to even kind of get a hold of people. He says concerns about the environment are maybe a little dramatic and that he sees the marine life that attaches to these bottles as barnacles, which are pests that, you know, boat owners pay a lot to remove.
0: And he sort of adds insult to injury by throwing a big party at a thousand dollars a ticket. So yeah,
2: the state once they found out about the cages, they said you have to remove these. The manual asked for a month delay and that was granted and when it within that time he and uh, partners threw a big party on a yacht to go out to the site where the cages were dropped, watch them, pull them up, and then come back to shore and people could pick a bottle out of what had just come up from the ocean. And it was a party with wine and food, but also during COVID.
0: So this wine that's going for 350 to $500 a piece, does it supposedly age faster or does it taste better?
2: Emmanuel says it ages or matures there is one winery that was involved that said they believe it tastes better but then i've talked to wine specialists at universities who have been in the industry and studied it and they say the claims about aging sound more like witchcraft than science
0: are there companies though, that support this venture
2: yep there are a couple of vineyards there's one called star lane and Deerberg and some others um, they're kind of all over the place. Some are overseas. There's a champagne one. I, we tried to reach out to most of them and only heard back from a few, but there is some interest in it.
0: So it sounds like the commission is going to vote no because it's against the rules and there doesn't seem to be any factor in his favor. I mean, does it seem like a no vote?
2: Staff has said no, but the board can always go their own their own way, and Emmanuel is—he um, has some response to a report that the staff presented, and he says that there are some inaccuracies and things that he needs to correct. So he's going to try to attempt to get it to pass. But the the board is independently appointed uh, outside of staff, so they their votes are kind of up to them and not so much what staff prefers.
0: So if the board votes no, does he have options?
2: He says, yes, it's not the end of it. He's talked about, you know, getting a boat and going out three miles past the coastline and dropping cages off of a boat. And he's also said his patent is good. is from the U.S., so he could do this from Guam to Alaska. And he seems undeterred.
0: Thanks, Emily. That's Emily Julie of Bloomberg Law. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Working for Tom Barrick, Matthew Grimes flew on private planes to international destinations, lived on a $15 million estate, and even partied at the inauguration of former President Donald Trump. But that glittering lifestyle came to a halt when Grimes was arrested on charges that include acting as an unregistered foreign agent trying to influence U.S. policy on behalf of the United Arab Emirates. Joining me is Bloomberg legal reporter Patricia Hurtado. Pat, let's start with the latest on Barrick. He was released on $250 million bail and made his first in-person court appearance on Monday in a New York courtroom. Did we learn anything new?
1: We learned a little more, a few more details about circumstances of where he's going to reside. He will reside in Colorado. And then he can travel to the Central District of California, which is like the LA area, but also includes Santa Barbara, where he has a house in Santa Inez. And then he can travel to the Eastern District and the Southern Districts of New York, presumably to come to court and appear in court for the Brooklyn federal case. We learned that he also has six children, two minor children, with his most recent ex-wife, Rochelle, who is one of the people putting up her house for him and one of the signers of his bond. There's another guy named Jonathan Grunswijk, who is a former executive of Colony, and then also his son, T.J. Barrick, put up his property.
0: Those electronic monitoring bracelets, I mean, how secure are they? Can't you cut them um, off and then take off in a
1: plane? The government had originally complained that he had access to a private plane that was Colony Capitals, his former company. But the lawyers said that since he's left Colony, he no longer has access to that private plane. And he's agreed to have this electronic monitoring as well as GPS monitoring. So he's wearing electronic ankle bracelet.
0: Is there any hint of a defense because this looks like a pretty, you know, solid case against him?
1: So one of the things is this is a 951 case, and so the statute is not used too frequently. The government has a benefits to bring in a 951 case because in the FARA case, the unregistered foreign agent case, that requires intent. Uh, what's the intent of the defendant? in this 951 case, they don't have to prove intent. So what was in his mindset? So it's a little bit easier hurdle legally for the government. It, It remains unclear. He's very adamant that he is not guilty and that he will be cleared of the charges. And, you know, I guess the argument he may be making will be that he was acting as a businessman and not as a effort to promote the Emirati interests with the Trump campaign, as well as later during the Trump administration.
0: So why do you know why it's the Eastern District that's bringing this? The Eastern District of New York was basically given a
1: a mandate by the Justice Department to investigate things tied
0: to the inauguration. So he was indicted along with this Matthew Grimes, and everyone was saying, well, who is Matthew Grimes? So tell us, who is Matthew Grimes? Well, Matthew Grimes was a young man who's
1: 27 now. He worked as an analyst and an assistant for Barrick. The government charges that he was sort of a go-between between Barrick and another gentleman whose name is Rashid al-Malik, who is a Emirati who was uh, living in L.A., who was promoting uh, interests of the UAE. And so Grimes is basically charged as being sort of like the, the right hand of Barak, that whenever he wasn't available, that Grimes would pass messages and act as the intermediary, the messenger, if you will. It's an interesting thing. The Emirati apparently was questioned by the government in 2018, and as soon as he was questioned, he was living quietly in L.A., he took off and left the country. And then, according to the government, they interviewed Barrick in 2019, and the government says he lied to federal investigators about what he was doing with Rashid
0: Al-Malik. Grimes has been working for Barrick since he was in high school, and he was part of this Friends of Tom
1: yeah, so our reporting is that basically Grimes meets Barrick. You know, Barrick has a house in San Ynez, and if people remember that it's this beautiful area near Santa Barbara, and he has a ranch and vineyards. and Grimes is from that area in Santa Barbara area, I grew up there. And according to our reporting, Grimes was in high school and a student, and met Barrick's wife at an event, and Grimes was working there. Grimes also knew one of Barrick's sons, younger sons, and they were about similar age. And so then he became an intern after high school and started working at Colony for Barrick and then went to Wharton in three years and basically kept up that position and that relationship with Barrick sort of as an analyst or an assistant or a very, very high-profile intern, if you will. So the minute he finished graduating from Wharton, he went back to work for Colony and for Barrick.
0: So Grimes was listed as a managing director of Falcon Peak, a family office, and also president of a related special purpose acquisition vehicle. Yeah,
1: there was a filing in the SEC that Barrick wanted to start. It was called Falcon, and it was a special purpose acquisition company, SPAC, that he wanted to start. And it was filed in March of this year. And he proposed Grimes as the president of the company for this special purpose vehicle. And they filed it with the SEC, and there was high praise for Grimes in it and it was going to be a private company held by Barrick, and they withdrew it last Friday. So Barrick and Grimes get arrested on Tuesday, July 20th, and then by Friday, the 23rd, they have withdrawn it with the SEC. So, I mean, it kind of paints a picture of a young man who was for many years or for a few years kind of living a very, Good life, a loyal adjutant and employee of barracks, they will still remain having their, you know, defenses parallel uh, remains to be seen. And government did not indict Grimes for lying. And yet he was questioned which says something, I guess, at least signals that, you know, Barrick was questioned by the government, and you could wonder how he's going to get out from under those allegations if the government has evidence to the contrary. But the government also says they have emails that Grimes sent on behalf of Barrick, you know, and they got the iCloud. So they had a subpoena for Barrick's iCloud, and they got basically a a trove of evidence, Against both of them. And it remains to be seen what's going to happen. You know, if Grimes will continue to fight this case and he's well equipped to hire a team of lawyers to defend him. And now, what will it mean for Grimes, who is less financially uh, secure, to bankroll a very strong defense that, that they're going to need to fight the government's charges?
0: He had one million dollars in an account. was that his money or is that Yeah, it's a, a savings account. He has a million dollars in his personal
1: savings account. His dad was uh, works for Wells Fargo in Santa Barbara and his mother is a community volunteer and he has a brother, Scott who's some kind of computer analyst from Colorado. So that brother also signed an older brother account looks like that signed his bond. So it remains to be seen. You know, really, uh, it's an interesting case. I mean, you don't see these kinds of emails in
0: detail. What exactly is he accused of doing? So
1: the way the government explains it is they worked together, Barrick and Grimes, to act as agents of the United Arab Emirates between 2016 and 2018. So April 2016, before Trump is elected, and into 2018 for like two full years. Uh, two years into the Trump administration. They basically met with uh, senior United Arab Emirates officials and promoting UAE policy interests with Trump. And they, according to prosecutors, they had access. And if you think of the barracks access to Trump, to the highest levels of American government. And the UAE has like a direct backdoor, according to the government, to promote policies and interests of the UAE ahead of other countries.
0: The big question is whether or not he'll cooperate. Does he look like a candidate for flipping? You know, you
1: have an underling that knows where all the bodies are buried. It kind of makes sense that the government may choose to put a lot of pressure and this might be it. And now the two who were very closely allied may have competing interests because now Barrick might try to save himself and Grimes may try to save himself. And one of the best ways of a defendant, especially an underling who's less culpable and hasn't been charged with as many serious crimes as your boss has, might be more willing to think about a plea deal because you may know a lot of other things about your boss that the government may have an inkling have, but they need extra evidence against them. So winning Grimes's cooperation against Barrick would serve both the interests of Grimes trying to save himself, you know, hypothetically, as well as the government needing an extra witness into that world that Barrick and that life that Barrick was leading.
0: So Grimes testified for the Mueller investigation. Do we know if he was a cooperating witness there and what he testified to? At this point, no. We understand that Mueller was
1: investigating matters, including the UAE's influence, not just Russia interference, but other countries. So that's what we understand, that he was questioned about these matters that this indictment pertains to. Um,
0: Grimes was not only interviewed by the FBI, but he was also called to the grand jury?
1: Yes, and testified for two days before a federal grand
0: jury. But Barrick wasn't called before the grand jury.
1: If they already had had him speak to federal agents and he had in their opinion lied to them, and they had evidence to the contrary that, that showed that he was being untruthful, why call the guy before the grand jury? His lawyer probably would say, I'm not going to have my client appear before the grand jury because this is a perjury trial, right? When they already had a perjury charges that they believed that he had lied to the FBI agent, probably in a preliminary interview. So they didn't need to call him before the grand jury when they already had made the perjury count.
0: So he knew he was going to be arrested.
1: Well, the defense lawyers have both made an argument that both of them knew this investigation was underway already at least since the guy Rashid al-Malik, who's also known as al Sahi, was questioned in 2018. So if he leaves the country, they already knew, and they didn't try to leave the country. So the defense lawyers, or both men, were arguing in court that they knew that the, the investigation was underway, and they showed good faith by not fleeing and staying in the United States and not doing anything to the contrary.
0: Just how serious are the allegations?
1: So far, What they do have, Barrick met with Grimes, Rashid, and senior UAE officials, during which he advised them to create a, quote-unquote, wish list of U.S. foreign policy items that the UAE wanted accomplished in the first 100 days or six months, year, and four years of the incoming administration of then-president-elect Donald Trump. Imagine that kind of access. A Middle Eastern country getting open front door into the White House of what do you want? What would you like to promote and put in front of incoming President Donald Trump? I mean, if the evidence supports it, there are staggering allegations of this kind of influence at the highest levels of the American government, at the highest levels of the UAE. I mean, it's pretty staggering.
0: Thanks, Patty. That's Bloomberg Legal Reporter Patricia Hurtado. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. I'm June Grosso. Thanks so much for listening. And please tune in to the Bloomberg Law Show every week, night at 10 p.m. Eastern, right here on Bloomberg Radio.